strikes it with so much power that Stuber guesses correctly. And if that's hit any softer, Stuber's going to push that An wide. MVP stalemate in Austin and a draw on the scoreboard as well. Nashville holds on to fourth in the West with a 1-1 draw deep in the heart of Texas. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from two people who have covered the club longer than anyone in the respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC Radio Voice West Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the owner of ClubCountryUSA.com. And the origin of the name of the show. The boys in gold go ahead on a PK, as you heard uh, just then, courtesy of Tony Husband and Jamie Watson on MyTV30. They give up a set-piece equalizer, though, five minutes later. And as with last week, Tim against the Galaxy, disappointing to concede after going ahead, but a good performance and a tough place to win. And while Nashville earned a clean sheet against Austin at Jodis Park, it was always going to be next to impossible to do that against this Austin team on the road. You mentioned that Austin came back to earn the draw. And I think it's that it's the order of operations that sort of colors the way fans feel about it. Cause when you look at it realistically, a draw away to any team that's going to make the playoffs is a very good result um, at the home of, of one of the best teams in the league in their home ground against a team that is going to finish second um, in the Western conference, unless FC Dallas and, and Austin have crazy ends to the season here. That's a really good result. But yeah, when you go ahead, you don't want to give up an equalizer. And, and that's going to make fans feel justifiably, I would say, a little bit disappointed. And now the, the playoff race heats up. And Tim Nashville put itself in a pretty good, you might even say really good position to qualify for the playoffs. And it, it seems like the focus is now looking up or looking where they are and, and going for that top four spot. While they haven't clinched the playoff berth yet, signs are pointing very strongly toward their postseason future being secure. Yeah, I think that's going to be about half of the mailbag questions that we talk yeah. about and, and a lot of what we talk about later in the show. But yeah, it's it's not it's not official, like you just said, but it would take a lot for Nashville to not kind of complete the job and, and do what they need to do to, to get into the playoff field. And, and like you mentioned, it is about as high as they can go now. The funny thing is that Nashville needed uh, three different things to happen, plus a Nashville win to qualify for the playoffs this past weekend. All of them happened except for the Nashville win. <laughs> uh, but of course that does bode well for, uh, for future matches and making that scenario just a little bit easier for them. In the early shot, we will analyze the draw with Austin. We'll assess that MVP race as uh, part two of the Mukhtar versus Driussi showdown that happened on Saturday night in Texas. And in the gold nuggets, we'll look at those playoff scenarios for Nashville SC, not just to get in, which is fairly straightforward actually now, but to get to that top four and even to that top three in the mailbag, is it, Time for somebody else to get a chance at striker, namely Teal Bunbury with uh, CJ Zapong now scoreless in 17 straight. Hasn't scored since May, longest drought of his career. Also, who does Nashville want to face in the playoffs? It feels kind of nice to be able to ask that question and, and talk about it. We do major in hypotheticals on this show, but uh, it's closer to reality than ever before that Nashville is going to be one of those seven teams. So who do they want to play? Who do they want to avoid? And then we'll go outside in. The U.S. men's national team made their roster announcement. What's it going to take for Shaq Moore to make the squad as he was not included uh, in this latest window for what is essentially a World Cup warm-up? Uh, and uh, we'll take a trip over to the Eastern Conference as well and break down how things are shaping up over there in what is has become an even crazier playoff race than what's happening uh, in the Western Conference. But First Club and Country is sponsored by ML Rose. Tim, we do two ML Rose ad discussions I don't like call them reads because we don't read a single thing. It's, it's all about the the spontaneous. I don't even know how to read. It's true. It's amazing. He's a, an award winning journalist and he can't <laughs> read. It's it's really a miracle. Uh, <laughs> so so we have two of these reads. Uh, I've been to MROs twice in the past five days. So one for each read. It works out really well. So first, I'll tell you about my first experience. My most actually my most recent experience after the Austin match. Dropped by uh, the one actually, in, as you would say, the best and most important neighborhood in Nashville right on the way home. And it was great because I had Major League Soccer on the phone, three college football games going on, Pac-12 after dark and the end of A&M Miami up on the TV in front of me. Uh, still pretty good crowd there for post 11 p.m., but not so packed that you felt like you couldn't breathe. It was really the perfect spot to uh, to catch a, a little, a little post soccer game beer and, and football watching. And uh we talk primarily about the location on, on eighth South, but that is also the first location that I went to of ML Rose in this town. And that's, I think we've talked about this somewhat recently. It's something where you can go to different parts of town and find an ML Rose and, and have consistency in what you're going to be able to order food wise, have not only consistency, but also a little bit of variety in terms of what you're able to get beer wise. So that's something mm -hmm. that it, you know, it's, it's, it kind of feels like home, but it feels like it's also keeping you on your toes in terms of having a little bit of variety. You can kind of mix it up a little bit and you're not always just kind of stuck in a rut either 
parking is just as easy at the Charlotte Avenue location, by the way, as it is uh, at the 8th Avenue. Really, really straightforward. And what I like is the, the experience, the quality is, is right on. It's the same. But the layouts are a little bit different. Mount Juliet, mm-hmm. uh, downtown Nashville, uh, Capitol View, and, and then 8th and, and Charlotte. So, yeah, you kind of feel like you're walking into a slightly different place. And yet, as you said, it still feels very, very familiar. The service was great. I got uh, my favorite local beer, had two of those, plus an animal style burger and uh, some sweet <laughs> back oh, to the old favorite <laughs> back to the favorite. And here's the thing I accidentally discovered. I ordered some Buffalo sauce on the side just to maybe dip my burger in. I don't know. I just like having Buffalo sauce around. It's comforting to me. <laughs> and I got sweet potato fries and I've never, we've talked about this. I don't know what to put sweet potato fries in the Carolina sweets are fantastic. Yeah. So I mean, that's sauce. my thing. You get that barbecue in there and it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. That's that's, that was a revelation to me. Thanks to you. The buffalo sauce, though, really good on sweet potato fries. Who knew? Yeah, it's, uh, I guess you can experiment a little bit each time you go to Emma. Look on Tim's well. face right now. <laughs> it's okay to insult my choice. You're not insulting the sponsor <laughs> by saying that's a terrible idea. But and I, academically... no, man, you, you're, uh, you're sticking to the scientific method and, and you're going to try every experimental condition. you can. Again, we are a show that majors in hypotheticals. But at some point, <laughs> you have to test the hypothesis. Uh, I'm telling you what, try it out, folks. Take a picture of your buffalo sauce and your sweet potato fries or just of any <laughs> MRO's experience and, and tag us and, and let us know you've been there. Um, and we'll head on now to, to our early shout. Deep and it's Drucci. He responds. Come over. And now it leaves Juicy at the back post. Austin leads Major League Soccer in set-piece goals, and you just knew they'd give themselves a shot at some point. You also knew, Tim, that Sebastian Drusi wasn't going to disappear quietly. His equalizer in the 61st minute. Again, the audio there, courtesy of Tony Husband and Jamie Watson on my TV 30 Yeah, I mean, it's disappointing for a couple of reasons. Obviously, with the, the caveat that you don't have the best, probably, set-piece defender in the entire league available in Walker Zimmerman after he was red-carded against the Galaxy. But when you look at, from a Nashville perspective, the reasons it was disappointing is, first, you leave the opponent's best player alone at the back post to knock home an easy one for the equalizer. And I wouldn't blame that one on Dan Lovitz. He had to step up to, to uh, cover for a teammate and, and make sure that the initial ball wasn't going in the back of the net. Unfortunately, it just ended up being a head on that Drew was able to, to slam home. But secondly, and, and more importantly, perhaps you leave Hani Mukhtar's top competition for major league soccer MVP alone at the back post for another tally towards that golden boot. So not only does Nashville give up two points in the process, but Hani Mukhtar fails to extend his lead on the golden boot race and, and potentially on the MVP race at this point. Um, Nashville largely kept Driussi quiet from the run of play, I would say. Mm-hmm. They, they were the better team in the run of play for the most part. But a player that good is going to get his. He's going to have a say in how the game turns out, and, and that was his opportunity, and he made it count. And it was a really good touch. It was the obviously the better of the two goals uh, mm-hmm. between him and Mukhtar because Hanis was a PK, so you can't do much there. Uh, it was it was really a gorgeous touch. And so, so I want to ask that question then about the MVP race. It, it feels like at this point, at least to me, Hani has that slight edge and that you know, a war of attrition, if you will, or equalizing each other, equaling each other's uh, performances would, would lead Hani to stay in that lead. Do you feel like he's cementing his MVP credentials by – by scoring multiple times against Austin and continuing this strong play. I think the fact that he has taken four points off Drew's team, he didn't do it himself, although he, he may as well have. He say. pretty much did there in that first Yeah, and it, it, in the head-to-head matches, he also scored three times as many goals. Not only did he score Saturday night, but he scored two um, just a couple of weeks ago when these teams met up for the first time, and Drew just scored the one goal. So that's something that's going to cement Hani as the favorite right now. The issue is it all comes down to what it has been about for the last couple of weeks, which is who wins the golden boot and how does Nashville finish in the table? If NSC can finish third or, or probably even fourth, it's basically Hani's unless Drew just blows past him in goals and, mm-hmm. and it takes the golden boot pretty comfortably. But if Hani maintains an advantage in goal scoring, I think NSC can finish fourth, fifth as basically as long as they, um, you know, make the playoffs. I think there's a, a really good shout that that Hani is going to be the the guy as long as he wins the Golden Boot. And obviously, like I've already said, we're going to talk a lot about Nashville SC making the playoffs. So it is a situation where Hani should should feel pretty good about where he is now. But it is not a done deal yet. I think you know we talk about that Heisman moment because we talk about college football in every one of these shows ever because we're both <laughs> college football nuts too. And I think you know you look back at, at special moments in Hani's season that kind of you know, can cement that in a very visceral way, in a subjective way in a lot of folks' minds. And I think that Austin Brace does that, even though Nashville's already got the game, they're up one nil. Um, they're on the front foot. 
that that brace against three UC to me was spiking the football a little bit uh, and doing mm-hmm. the pose, the salute, and, I guess. But Hani hasn't scored from the run of play since. Really makes you think. <laughs> makes me think that he's also he has scored two penalties. <laughs> he did draw the penalty. If I would have scored, had he not gotten yeah. taken down in the box by John Gallagher, to be fair. And uh, and it was kind of a choppy and disjointed match for much of the contest. You know, for, for two teams that that really are great at setting traps and countering, that's kind of what they did, I guess. Um, but it was it was not as as exciting or free flowing in a lot of ways as that first Austin match, in my opinion. What do you think? Was that surprising to you that it was a little bit choppy and a little bit uh, helter skelter? Yeah, I, I compare it not to the to the previous Austin game, but to the game that that kind of <laughs> these two Austin games bookended, which was the Galaxy game, and that's it's more of a contrast than I compare here because that was a, a fairly clean match that just featured a ton of yellow cards, mm-hmm. and this was a fairly rough and tumble match that kind of escalated over time because there were no cards there was no attempt to kind of you know slow down the the pace of play or 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 take the heat down a notch a little bit between the teams both both of these teams have a lot to play for um austin um, can no longer catch lafc but they still do have a little bit of work to do to make sure they finish ahead of fc dallas and both of these teams uh kind of tend to wear their emotions on their sleeves and that's why you maybe need sometimes uh, a little bit of that cooling down from the center official it didn't end up being dirty so it's not that big of a deal but i think it, it does kind of help explain why the game ended up the way it did because there is a a, a bit of a responsibility to make sure it's a, a cleanly played game Here's what Gary Smith had to say post game. Gary, without uh, without Walker, you guys managed to hold them in, in the run of play pretty well. This is one of the highest scoring teams in the league. Um, you know, how pleased were you with the defensive performance aside from the one dead ball situation? Uh, honestly, I think the group was terrific. Um, you know, we can we can point towards Jack coming in and filling some big shoes, but you know, it really was a collective effort. Um, both fullbacks, big job to do. You know, they play uh, a very aggressive and, and progressive style and that back line needed to work very cohesively uh, and make sure that those relationships were, were very much at their best. But you've also got to have guys in front of them that are prepared to, you know, to put a shift in both ways. And Jacob was terrific, as was Randall, in, in, a, in a creative sense, as well as offering some good support for our fullbacks. And the two central midfield players, I thought, worked tirelessly to, you know, to screen that back line. Uh, and of course, I have to mention the front two. In the, you know, in the the, the full-blooded nature of the game, they've got their work to do as well. And I thought they they, they did a wonderful job of negating the, the six that sits deep and you know really dictate dictates the game for. Austin on, on many occasions. So there's a lot of hard work going in. And uh, I think the reward today, whilst it's only a point, is a very, very valuable one. So those are Gary Smith's thoughts on uh, on the draw. Again, good result that becomes uh, dark, more, more darkly colored, uh, more darkly shaded because they uh, went ahead and, and conceded. Uh, but it does set them up pretty nicely in the playoff picture. Again, if they had won they'd be in because they needed Seattle to lose. They did. And they needed two of these three things to happen. They needed RSL, Portland, or Galaxy to drop points. Two of those three. Galaxy won. RSL and Portland both dropped points. So the only thing that didn't happen was the Nashville win. So the boys in gold, Tim, were 29 minutes away from clinching that playoff spot. And, and given the number of scenarios at this point, the paths for NSC to miss the playoffs are exceedingly slim by now. They all but require the boys in gold to take zero points from the final two games. And, um, you know, when you look at a Houston team that's that's basically given up on the season, already eliminated from the playoffs, and then LAFC might not have a lot to play for on decision day. It's not quite a formality, but it's in Nashville's hands for sure. Houston no longer led by Paolo Naga Naga, not going to work here anymore. <laughs> um, and uh, office face for you all. Uh, yep. Glad you got it. Um, and uh, now I'm just thinking of other references I could make, but I don't know that I want to mark the explicit tag on this podcast. This a time. lot better than the Bobs. <laughs> oh. a combined extra time office space. As long as Honey Mukhtar remains more talented than Michael Bolton, <laughs> then, uh, then we're okay. Uh, but it is pretty simple, right? Beat Houston and Nashville is in. There are other ways they can get in. Uh, an RSL loss to LA Galaxy the day before that Houston match. Uh, a draw between those two also does that. Uh, even if RSL draws with Galaxy and Nashville loses to Houston, RSL is going to have to basically make up a double-digit goal differential on decision day and hope that Nashville loses to LAFC. And the cool thing is, 
for Nashville fans, RSL and Galaxy play each other. So somebody will drop points. And those are the two teams that, that are essentially on that on that playoff cut. Essentially, they, they are on that playoff line. Galaxy 7th, RSL 8th. Um, so ironically, Nashville SC fans are thanking FC Cincinnati for helping them out last weekend. Uh, on the road in Salt Lake, getting a 2-1 win that really helped Cincy's playoff cause. They're, I think, three points, maybe more, above the playoff line uh, in the Eastern Conference. And RSL falls below it. So... Thanks, Cincy. Yeah, I, you aren't going to hear a ton of kind words <laughs> emanating from Nashville about FC Cincinnati. But in this one case, um, you mentioned the, the games that RSL and Galaxy played. There are only a couple games left involving multiple teams that are still within reach of Nashville, either um, LAFC or Austin or Houston or SKC or San Jose is involved in most of the remaining Western Conference games. The two games that, that do exist both involve RSL. The opponents in those ones are Galaxy and Portland, which means you know only one of those teams is, is realistically going to have the, the chance to catch Nashville. Even if Nashville were to lose both games, you mentioned it's almost certainly RSL that has the upper hand at that point right now. But So Nashville does still control its own destiny, and I guess uh, in this one instance only, it is thanks to FC Cincinnati. It is indeed. And so clinching does seem pretty certain. Uh, you mentioned that likelihood. 538 tells us statistically it's at 99 plus percent. 99% plus third time was the charm there. So what about top four? Let's look, let's look at where Nashville is in the table now and talk about hosting that playoff game, which requires a top four finish. 538 gives Nashville a 92% chance of finishing third or fourth with third, the most likely position at 74%. I had to check that a couple of times. I'm, I'm not quite sure where they're getting that, that math. And maybe Tim's got a better feel for some of the analytics behind that because as he, as he glares at his spreadsheet. Yeah. He's, he's glaring. All right. Spreadsheet is out folks. So you may lose Tim at any moment. The computer might crash. <laughs> um, we're gonna see. Here, here's the deal. NSC's three points behind Dallas, who's in third place now. Each team has two matches left. The first tiebreaker is wins, as we may remember from last year against Philadelphia. Dallas leads that by one win. The team's goal differential is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, remaining matches, Nashville hosts Houston, visits LAFC. Dallas visits Colorado, hosts SKC. I, I just don't see third place as being nearly as likely as 538 would tell us, but that's my feelings ball take. What do the cold hard numbers tell you? Yeah, I think a, a trip to Colorado is, is tough for Dallas. And then um, SKC is playing better lately. I would I would guess that 538 feels that way. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly not sure. I think it's the fact that you can potentially run up a big goal differential uh, on Houston. And then the last game, you know, is the last game. It's essentially a coin flip if you are able to catch Dallas by then. But um, like you mentioned that, and is, or excuse me, like I previously mentioned, uh, NSC can't catch LAFC or Austin. So really the only positions up for hosting grabs are that third and fourth spot. And it does come down to trying to catch third place. Uh, Nashville doesn't control its destiny against Dallas. Like you mentioned, um, since Dallas is ahead on points, um, they can also get caught by Portland without, without anything to say about it. Portland is, is barely behind Nashville. Uh, but even if Nashville wins the final two, there's no guarantee of a home playoff game. But realistically, four points in the final two means you're you're hosting round one and you have, a, a I think, a pretty good shot of, of passing Dallas for that third spot. Thanks to Chris Hole for asking what needs to happen to get that home playoff game. And as for holding off Minnesota and Portland for fourth, Portland one point back of Nashville. Minnesota is two points back. And then there's Galaxy. They're four points back, but they have a game in hand. Uh, the only team beneath Nashville with a chance of catching Nashville that does have that uh, that extra game, three left to play. So with that in mind then, Minnesota, Portland, Galaxy, which of these teams would be the most likely, in your opinion, to pass Nashville SC for fourth place? Well, well I'm a motionless spreadsheet man. Yeah, right? not opinion, not your opinion, sorry. <laughs> your computer. Uh, I mean, projection. a motionless spreadsheet man says Portland is on the highest points per game, but the Timbers have LAFC and an RSL team that, as we have already mentioned, is, is fighting for its playoff life. Uh, the Galaxy faced that same RSL team, but the, they have Quakes in Houston bookending that one. I do think the Quakes are, are doing okay uh, lately. Uh, since making their coaching change, they look a lot more bought in at least. Minnesota's got two teams with the least to play for. I would say San Jose and Vancouver. Vancouver's almost certainly going to be eliminated come decision day. Um, but Minnesota also has the least margin for error. So that, you know, each of them, you know, when you look at RSL kind of being uh, the the meaty middle <laughs> that, that doesn't have a, an advantage in any of them, but doesn't have a disadvantage in any of those uh, two factors. I still, I still stick with Portland because they, they have the, the pole position right now. It's the easiest way to look at it and say, okay, they are, they are the one that has the opportunity to just take care of business and get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still have to like, Galaxy is that risk. Just I, I, I love the Houston matchup for them. I know Nashville plays Houston as well. Uh, so maybe that cancels each other out, but 
yeah, the Quakes. I mean, the Cali Classico, you never know, but I have to think as long as they don't let Chicharito take the penalties, they're probably probably okay. <laughs> uh, international break for Nashville. Now no matches until that Houston contest, October 2nd. Uh, so guys are getting to rest really for the key grind here at the end of the year. Which Nashville player is most grateful to get that break? I'm going to cheat a little bit and say it's because there's not a, a break uh, because there's the friendly mixed in in between. It's Ake Loba uh, yeah. because he's going to finally have a chance to play when when Nashville plays against Club America on Wednesday. If he's healthy, if he's healthy enough to play, um, we'll answer a specific question about this that I think I've just scooped my answer on already. <laughs> but um, he's he's because because there is a friendly match in there, a guy who's going to benefit. But other than that, you know, Hani Mukhtar has been carrying this team. His, his shoulders might need a little bit of a rest, a little yeah. bit of a deep tissue mas- massage on those. National C supporters are saying, Hani's rolling like this. Don't give the guy a break. Let him keep in that rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did fail to mention, I said no matches. You, you corrected me. Thank you. No league matches until October 2nd. Club America coming to town or Club America. Better, right? A little bit. I'll, keep, I'll leave the Spanish to Eddie Carvacho um, <laughs> on, uh, on Wednesday. That's going to be a, a really fun exhibition. I'm going to be in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm going to have to miss that one, unfortunately. Um, Chattanooga home, of course, to the Club America of Southeast Tennessee. And I'll <laughs> let you guys choose whether that's the Red Wolves, shout out to the Bakers, or Chattanooga FC. Uh, I, I think my answer has got to be CJ Sapong. I, I think what he needs more than anything is to score in a match. Um maybe America's the chance to do that, or maybe that's a chance for him more likely probably to rest, maybe go 30 minutes or, you know, have a, have a brief spell. I, I agree with you. I think it's a good chance for Aki Loba to start with no risk. Um, I think I, I really like actually CJ as a, as a pick because of the, the chance to kind of sit back and meditate. We have, he was yeah. one of the first guests on this show. We know that he's a very contemplative guy getting a chance to get his mind right. He is the sort of guy who is going to benefit from that more than mm-hmm. perhaps the average MLS player. That could be something that really helps him. And obviously, if he's you know back in goal scoring form, really helps the team too. Yeah, he's a relentlessly hard worker. He's a thinker, as you've mentioned, and makes some visualization. And and I mean, I wrote in the rundown here, literally put the ball in the back of the net fifty times every day between now and Houston in in risk free you know situations, just on the training grounds, visualize that success. And mm-hmm. I, we know he has the quality to do it. We've seen it in Nashville. We've seen it this year. But he he may need a break to reassess. Uh, one thing we don't have to reassess. <laughs> is the greatness of ML Rose. And I did something for the first time, Tim, um, actually, once again, at the Charlotte Avenue location. Uh, the fact that you're doing these in backwards order is crazy to me because I, I see it as, it as it filters through social media. I'm like, oh, Wes is saving the best for last here, huh? I am. I am indeed because I took my little guy for the first time, his first ever trip to ML Rose. He loved it. it and it reminded me, Tim, of how family friendly a place it is. I've seen other kids there and it's not one of these loud, crazy bars where people are throwing beer everywhere. It's a little more refined without being stuffy. And it's a really perf- perfect place to take a kid. You can drink a beer. It was two for one day, a surprise two for one. Um, and Cameron did not have either of the two, uh, but he very much enjoyed his uh, his lemonade and his burger. And we enjoyed a bit of a, of, of a date after family pictures. And it was great. Yeah. And that's something that, that, you know, we always talk about going and, and drinking a bunch of beers <laughs> after a soccer game, but uh, all of the ML Rose locations are, are family friendly too. You can go there. You, there are booths. You can go sit in a booth and cram your kid in the corner. Like I tend to do when, once they get a little bit more free range, you have to, you have to make the, uh, the arrangements to keep, the them, to keep them under control a little bit, but yeah, you have the opportunity to do that at ML Rose. And there is, um, you know, there are French fries. Uh, producer Lily is going to have, find something to like at any place that has French fries. Yes. I'm trying to sell her on sweet potato fries. She's not quite there yet. I am very much there. I've talked about them incessantly. I love the Carolina sweets because I love sweet potato fries Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, wash them down with, with your local, um, craft brew of choice. It's, it's, you can't be beat. You can't beat it. And Cameron helped me notice something that I'd never noticed before, which is the the decoration of the trains. What? (laughs) A train somewhere. He does love trains. He very much <laughs> loves trains. There was a like a bobcat or a cougar that was stuffed. That's way up. Not a live one, by the way. It's <laughs> like a taxi driver one that's up in the corner, pointing here right. in the back of the restaurant. And first thing he saw, first thing he saw, he walked in. <laughs> Ooh, what's that, Daddy? And I, I told him it was a bobcat. That scares you a little bit. But then he he loved it. Uh, he refers to himself in the second person still, by the way. Uh, yeah, that scares you a little bit. And uh, the whole time he's transfixed. He got used to the Bobcat, by the way. He's not scared anymore. <laughs> but I, what'd you do at MLROs? I ate a burger and some fries and saw a Bobcat. 
the big three really so eat <laughs> a burger three, yeah. eat some fries maybe have a beer and see a bobcat at your local in melrose i don't think that's the tagline's probably going to stick but uh, <laughs> it'll work for tonight uh, on to the mailbag now pay and Cito, we are allowing you to lead off this week again because last week you asked about gandalf and wizards and hobbits and such and we didn't have any kind of a good answer so we'll give you a good answer here to your good question again start bunbury and sub him for cj what say you okay what say you tim uh, i think sapong is too important for the non-goal scoring reasons we have just talked about how he's not putting the ball into the back of the net but but could potentially start doing that again in short order but what he brings to this team is he runs his butt off for 80 minutes in a way that, that Bunbury probably can't do. And some of that is because Bunbury hasn't been fully healthy this year. He hasn't played, you know, wire to wire in a way that Sapong can be trusted to do. The other thing with CJ for me is that he hasn't been all that unproductive in the attack, aside from actually putting the ball in the back of the net. And yes, I'm well aware that putting the ball in the back of the net is what counts on the scoreboard. It's what counts on the table. But if he get, he, you know, keeps getting the chances that he generates for himself that, he and Hani generate together a touch more luck and he could be a breakout player as you approach the playoffs. I don't doubt any of that. And I think you're right on in terms of the buildup and in terms of the partnership with Hani. And, and I would wonder if you asked Hani and he might tell you, look, I'm used to CJ. I'd rather be with CJ. And that weighs into the, the, the huge factor that, that weighs into the decision. I do wonder though, if, if CJ has missed just enough opportunities now against Austin and some others recently, his rhythm just looks a touch off. Maybe it is time to give him a break. And really, ideally, that's the decision you make in early August when you've got several games of a stretch run mm-hmm. to go uh, rather than the next to last game of the year saying, let's give you a break. So maybe the time off, maybe he scores against, you know, America, then give him the job, give him the job. I just wonder if it's teal time. Um, I don't know. I struggle with that a little bit. It's a really good question, Payne because I think we could argue both sides and, and make some pretty legitimate points. I, I think we did just argue both sides. <laughs> I think we did. And it's true. We were embracing debate for once in the show. I, I would lean C, I would lean teal rather. Sorry, I would lean teal, but like in a 55-45 kind of way where I don't think Gary Smith's making a wrong decision either way. And importantly, both of them are going to have a role no matter who starts. Yep. So you, do, you don't have to pick one and then not get to use the other at all. Thank goodness. Uh, that's Aki Loba's job to not be. <laughs> <laughs> Logan Elliott wants to talk about Clo- the Club America match. Uh, any predict- predictions or insight on what sort of team we see Wednesday? How will Gary balance the need to keep the starters fresh with the opportunity to give some players a much needed rest? And Charlie Pate is Wednesday the night you start Loba or ease him in as a sub. I think you generally start a first choice side and play him about 30 minutes. In my opinion, I think that that does the spectacle justice. And then you take out Hani at the 30 minute mark. Like you have somebody fake an injury at 30 to get him out if you need to do that. Um, and, and same, I think with Leal, with, we want to heavily rotate those central mids and have nobody play more than 30 to 45 and that. Um, and the rest of the starters, I think you go 45 and then you rotate fairly heavily in, in the second half. Um, that's a generality. I think there's certain positions including striker where, yeah, you might make the decision to, to play an Ake Loba or somebody that's a little bit risk-free, but is going to be hungry to, to make an impact. Empty the trunk. I, th- I think you get Ake Loba as many minutes as he's fit to play. Um, beyond that, guys who deserve playing time but haven't been able to get it in the thick of the playoff race, talking about guys like Elliot Panico, um, Taylor Washington, who probably gets more playing time than the rest of these guys, but but doesn't get the playing time that he you know kind of earns because Nashville mm-hmm. SC doesn't want to have to put Dan Lovitz on the bench to get him playing time. Ethan Zubak, I think maybe give Ahmed Longmire his, his Nashville SC uh, – it's not a competitive debut, but um, get, get him some action now that the team is in the full swing of things because he did play in preseason as well. You want to get those guys some match minutes, even if they aren't competitive minutes, uh, because that can only help the team during the playoff stretch. Maybe it's because you're resting, guys. Obviously, your your take on the starting lineup also gets guys plenty of rest, but you're also building depth that Gary can trust, and we know that that's really important for him. It's one of the reasons that even when healthy, Ake Loba hasn't played a ton because he hasn't built that trust with Gary Smith. The only way you can do it is by training well and by getting some minutes that are against a different team. You get a chance mm-hmm. to see what a guy can provide. Sprinkle in the starters where necessary in the starting lineup, but uh, you know, get those guys out like you, you you mentioned there. But I think you want to start some of these guys that that you, you can't guarantee minutes to during the regular season. And I guess you're taking the pragmatic 
approach there. And I agree with you. The spreadsheet says. (laughs) I'm just going to co-host with the spreadsheet next week. (laughs) With that. Um, I I just, I wish this showcase were earlier in the year. Yeah. You know, I I think that that helps make some of these decisions for you, but you're not going to risk anybody or or begin to risk anybody with the stretch run that Nashville has coming up. And you want to use that international break, all of it to benefit your key guys. So I, I think the approach probably ends up resembling a little more what you're putting out there than what I am. And I'm probably thinking a little too much about the spectacle about justifying mm-hmm. a national TV. There is, mm-hmm. there is absolutely value in, in the team's performance staying uh, to the level of the spectacle too. You don't want club America to come to Geodas park and just thrash Nashville SC. That is not right. going to win over club America fans who live in Davidson County, <laughs> but at the same time, the fact that they're showing up to Geodas Park, seeing the situation in terms of concessions, in terms of seating and all those sorts of things, if they might not be interested in Nashville SC otherwise, you don't want to lose them, but you can't, you can't, you know, you can only do so much on the field that's really going to change hearts and minds, especially. It's going to be a fun night Wednesday. Go to ML Rose before and or after and uh, let us know how your experience was at both that and at the match. Um Obviously, we'd like to finish as high as possible in the table, says unnamed question answer, who I forgot to copy in there. Any idea who that was? That's, that's I'm my scrolling. Point. You can keep reading it. <laughs> but if we had a magic wand to affect the last few games, who do we want to face or avoid in the Western playoff bracket? Are there certain teams with a higher seed that Nashville matches up well against? Austin cited as an example there. Wow, thank you, Finn Breland, for that question. Oh, Finn, I knew it. <laughs> I even mentioned to my wife who used to work with Finn. Oh, yeah, Finn asked us a question. To, sorry, yeah, I, th- I think, uh, thank you again, Finn, but I, I think Portland and Minnesota are actually bad matchups, even though they're probably a couple of the weaker teams. And that's because they, and I will admit that Nashville SC kind of has a similar profile. They have the ability to muck it up and, and not let a team with with more talent or better you know overall performances over the course of the season go out and beat them. They're going to sit back. They're going to counter. They're going to do the sorts of things that Nashville SC has gotten really good at frustrating opponents with. And um, I guess from a from an entertainment perspective, two teams that want to sit back might not be very interesting. But in a playoff scenario, you want clear advantages. Obviously, you want clear advantages in every game. But especially in the playoffs, you need the ability to exploit those clear advantages. And, and Portland and Minnesota are the types of teams that might not be able to, Emmanuel Reynoso, notwithstanding, Diego Valeri or whomever, notwithstanding, they might not go out and beat you on an individual moment, but they're going to make it tough for you to beat them on an individual moment. So I think any of the other teams, you, you have a bit of clarity about how Nashville SC can counter the style of play. Those two teams are, are going to force you to, to whip in a bunch of crosses. They're going to force you to, yeah. to play their game. It's a good point, Ari, Adrian, Heath, Ball there. I, I did put Minnesota on my list of teams that, that they might like to face only because they've been so inconsistent that yeah. I think, you know, teams that are a little bit straight. The one thing is it's, it's, it's tough for Minnesota to beat you. They, they yeah. can draw you, but it's right. tough for them to beat you unless they get that moment from Reynoso. Right. Uh, my, the first team on my list was RSL. I think, mm-hmm. you know, this is an RSL team that's trending in a, in a downward direction. They might not even make the playoffs. Um, not looking real pretty for them right now at all. If they do make it, they're probably the seventh seed and probably don't don't sniff Nashville as a result. But if you do get them, I think they've they've you know been playing on spit and vinegar for much of the year, and and that's starting to run out. Their supply of vinegar is dwindling rapidly, and uh, I, I I think that's a team you want to you want to face if you get the chance to do that. Um, I don't hate Austin in that conference semifinal. I think you know Austin. It, it's it's a strong term to call them fools gold or fools verde, I guess. Um, but the underlying metrics don't like them nearly as much as the as, as their results have. And I, I don't hate that matchup. Nashville's acquitted themselves quite well against Austin twice. Avoid LAFC, avoid LAFC, avoid LAFC. And I don't love Dallas either, really. Uh, I think when you have two, maybe three extraordinarily dangerous players up top, that's a Dallas team that can really give you trouble. Uh, keep in mind, Jesus Pereira did not uh, play against Nashville when they visited Joe's uh, uh, Park and lost 3-0. That, that, I think that's a tough one, too. The one thing with LAFC is they've been playing so poorly since they added Chiellini and Bale. Ironically enough, I guess, or, yeah. or maybe there's something chemistry-wise that you know they're, they are locked into the number one seed, but have they done enough to kind of take a step back and they, you know, they did most of their, their table work at the beginning of the year. They might not be quite as dangerous right now, but yeah, you obviously don't want to face the best team in the West. I know this is a super hot take. 
so my answer is don't face the best team and face the worst team that might not even make the playoffs. That is the you deep. You may be onto something here. <laughs> and agreed on the LAFC. They've, they've really been trending downward, but mm. yeah, on the road. Oof, no, thank you. John Mueller, how important is Anibal Godoy to this team's middle third of the field and how quickly does his air need to be found? In my opinion, he says that he, he's super important, but as with Dax, can't be expected to go 90 every game. Yeah, I, I mean, so with the central midfield as a whole, I think the errors apparent are already apparent, apparent. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Brian Anunga and Sean Davis are your CM pairing of the future, and they fit pretty tightly into the roles that Anibal and Dax play right now. The issue is that Anunga needs to keep developing the attacking side of the game, of course. He's an adequate stand-in now. You're going to get at least a couple more years out of Anibal. You're hopefully going to get a couple more years out of Dax. There's still time for him to develop a little bit. And then you can go and find either a guy um, through free agency like Nashville SC found Sean Davis. You can go find guys in the draft and develop them a little bit. Cozy Denasiano continuing to play um, pretty good ball mm-hmm. as he's out on loan. But you, ha- you have the opportunity to not sweat it that much. As long as Godoy and, and McCarty stay healthy, they haven't been 90-minute fit like you mentioned, John. But you can get enough minutes out of them that the depth provided by Anunga, that the depth provided by Davis, the, the starting minutes provided by Davis can really get you through for at least another year. Yeah, the the best decision Nashville made this offseason, obviously their biggest decision. Because they listened to us. Davis. Because the <laughs> they listened to us, that's why. If we, hadn't us, been, if we hadn't been stumping for it, it would have been a bad decision. It was almost this exact time last year that we identified Sean Davis as, as a great idea to go pursue, and they did. And this is one of those things where we had inside knowledge and we we're just playing coy. Uh, we didn't have inside knowledge on that one. We often do. We didn't then. Um, Sean Davis is the heir apparent, no doubt. I, I wonder if Anunga ends up being that guy. I hope he does for his sake. I hope his growth path continues to to be up there. But he's definitely, definitely in this for the long haul as a depth piece if Nashville wants him here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he can do a job. He's not yeah. going to provide yeah. everything that Godoy provides, but he can do a job for sure. And an occasional Galazzo once every two years, perhaps. He's, he's got that at his arsenal when he when he is licensed to, to use it. Uh, Wesley Bryant, who is in yellow card accumulation danger now, and how does it work if uh, we make it to the playoffs? Uh, thanks for the question, Wesley. And um, It is a little bit unclear probably to somehow that whole process works. So, Tim, let us in on it. Yeah, if you hit the mark on, on decision day, you're completely in the clear. So, so there's one more game that's relevant for Nashville. Um, You're not suspended for the playoffs if you hit it on, on decision day. You're not suspended for the opener next year if you hit it on decision day. It basically means you didn't hit yellow card accumulation. They might still find you. The, it, the rules are unclear about that very you know kind of edge case there. But mm-hmm. that means Nashville just has to worry about one player, and that's Anibal Godoy, in the Houston match. If he gets a yellow card in the Houston match, he is suspended for the LAFC game, but you know everybody could go out and, and get to number five during the LAFC game, and it doesn't really affect anything. Love that. Love that rule. Uh, I think that's that's the way it should be. So Anibal Godoy, the player to watch, and a couple of LAFC players, I believe, in, in their match 33 are going to be in, in the yellow card jeopardy as well. And it's weird. I, I believe when I was uh, you know cross-checking the rules to be sure, the the playoff version of the yellow card accumulation rule is the same as the regular season version and you will note that basically nobody plays five games in the playoffs so it doesn't make any sense but hey uh, more power to him if somebody if somebody gets through like more play-in games than exist and manages to get suspended for mls cup more power to him if you get five yellow cards in the playoffs you're going to be suspended it's going to be <laughs> yellow yellow red it's not yellow, accumulation yellow, red <laughs> exactly and by the way just to, to follow up on my vague data point a minute ago jesus Murillo, elia sanchez the two lafc players who were yellow card risks actually coming into the weekend so i'll have to double check once again to see if they got yellows um in that in that match late uh, late sunday night all right let's go outside in two of them i couldn't turn on it Columbus just wanted to get rid of it, but failed. And Moreno has a chance. It's happened again. Columbus have collapsed in stoppage time. Things remain crazy in the East. Eight teams vying for the final three spots. New England is on the outside looking in after setting a points record just a year ago because MLS. Charlotte stayed alive with a multi-goal comeback against Chicago. And you just heard from John Champion and ESPN. Portland tied Columbus deep in stoppage time to drop the crew below Miami for the last spot. While the West is stabilizing just a bit, we know who's going to be first. We know who's going to be second, third and fourth or third seems pretty, pretty solid for Dallas. Sorry, 538. The East is pure madness. 
Do you agree with this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, both conferences have a, a points of craziness, but the fact that there's an extra game to be played in the East, um, there's one interconference matchup left. It's between Cincy and Seattle. Then there are 15 Western Conference games and 16 Eastern Conference games remaining. It adds a little bit to the craziness. Plus, there's the fact that DC is so much farther behind the field. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, Houston, San Jose already eliminated from the playoffs, but it feels like the the difference between three and thirteen in the East is, is, is tighter than the difference between three and 12 in the West. So there is a situation where it might even just kind of be an optical illusion. I was going through it and being like, eh, let's see how this, uh, how this will play out a little bit here, but it doesn't really seem that there's a situation that, um, you know, is, is, is a wide gap between the, the craziness and in, in the conferences. Yeah. I, yeah, maybe it's true. The extra game, I guess, but, but yeah. that kind of also adds to the craziness because it's just another level of unpredictability yeah. and variables. Yeah. Uh, there salvaged it um so who gets into the eastern conference playoffs and who gets left out where do you think things are going to end up yeah i think both new york teams are in they're they're feeling pretty good right that now feels, I yeah, think, it's, yeah i think uh orlando and cincy get in um and then columbus beats charlotte to snag the last spot columbus needs to help itself <laughs> they can't just cruise on into the playoffs for the reasons that you just mentioned but i do think a win over charlotte and they're able to uh, to seal their their position in the playoffs. So you don't trust Miami to finish the job? I do not. Wonder why. That's shocking. <laughs> um, and the top of the East, I mean, it's, it's probably going to be Philadelphia, but it's still mm-hmm. mathematically in, in play. Uh, Montreal gained two points on the Union. They're five back with two to play. So they've got to be perfect. The Union have a plus 46 goal differential. Thank you, DC United. Um, Union go to Charlotte, host Toronto. So win one of those, their first place but we can technically amp up the drama and say it's not over yet with, with two to go. Is, is there any chance, any chance at all that the artists formerly known as the impact sneak into first? They, they play DC. I think, I think these two, between these two teams, there are four remaining games. I think each of the four is a win. I think both of these teams <laughs> yeah. went out and uh, you know, that, that means Philly maintains actually a fairly sizable gap, even though right now it looks like uh, CF Montreal has a chance to catch them. Yeah, and so then the, the fun question and, and the better question is who gets Supporter Shield? LAFC and the Union tied on points. They've played the same number of matches. LAFC takes on uh, Portland and Nashville. Union, we've mentioned Charlotte and Toronto. Who's going to win that shield? Yeah, LAFC, since I've already called my shot with Philly, LAFC would have to drop points to either Portland or, or Nashville. And I think they do to both, perhaps. I think they draw both of those games as they focus on the playoffs and getting over the hump. That's something that LAFC is is familiar with. They have won Supporters' Shield and, and flopped in the playoffs before. They do not want to have that happen. They would much rather stay alive in the, in the MLS Cup playoffs than you know be playing for everything in these final two games. Uh, fair enough. I, I would tend to agree with you there. It's weird because LAFC has been so elite all year long, and yet rarely to me as a top seed had so many you know, identity questions uh, as uh, as LAFC does. Um, Shaq Moore and the U.S. men's national team. Shaq was not selected, and we've viewed him and, and discussed him as a, a fringe contender for mm-hmm. a, a World Cup spot. Uh, that remains the case, and clearly he's he's on the outside looking in. Discuss that, that right-back position, if you will. Um, what does he need to do? Because he's not going to be playing in this window, he's got some work to do. What does he need to do to earn that World Cup spot? Yeah, unfortunately for him, I don't think there's a whole lot he can do. He kind of has to, I don't want to say hope for injuries, but hope maybe somebody plays their way out of out of contention for the World Cup because he doesn't have the chance to make a statement against Japan, against Saudi Arabia. He has to hope that somebody else makes a statement that they don't necessarily deserve to be there. Um, I think if you're picking one MLS right back, I would not pick DeAndre Yedlin. I would pick Shaq Moore, but, but, but those... You know, those are not things that are within Shaq Moore's control right now. Um, he can go out and play perfectly well the final three games and hope that there's a little bit of luck. Um, whether you know whether that's some guys who are currently looking like uh, they are going to be on the roster for Qatar, but the big picture is that there's not a lot that he can do individually to to play his way in. U.S. playing Japan Friday, Saudi Arabia the following Tuesday, September 27th, and of course Walker Zimmerman going to be involved and you would think uh, likely starting one or both of those as uh, Greg Berhalter seems to have him as, as the first choice guy back there in one of those center back spots. And, um, and I guess it's a, it's a valuable chance for him to gain some chemistry with one of his mates back there. 
Yeah, I, it's crazy that when you go back just over a year from today, basically, Walker didn't play at all in the first window of World Cup qualifying. He was on the team, but didn't play, didn't even play in his home stadium and yeah. Nissan Stadium back then. And um, the team uh, probably could have used him in that game, a player who has basically since been dropped from from the MNT comp- uh, picture completely. And John Brooks was partially responsible for the goal that I don't think Walker would have given up. But hey, nope. Walker has had his chance to come in and say, I am the guy. And he has done exactly that. He has come in and proven that he's the guy. He's going to have to figure out a little bit of chemistry with some of these guys that he's playing with. Um, Mark McKenzie, Eric Palmer Brown, Cameron Carter Vickers, Aaron Long is probably the guy that he's most familiar with right now. He's probably the guy that men's national team fans are least excited about, though. But (laughs) Walker is going to try to develop chemistry with some of those guys. I think that's one of the goals for Greg Berhalter in this camp is to give guys who he knows are starters reps with guys who he thinks could be starters and Walker is one of the guys in the former category. And so he's going to get, get an audition with some of the guys in the latter category to, to figure out who he fits best with. Uh, well said, it's going to be really interesting to follow and, and really rewarding for Nashville SC supporters to know that, that barring injury and please knock on wood there uh, that, that uh, thank you. Good job. I think my desk is, I think it's like a chair. Listen, I got a new, I got a new desk. I got a, got you got a knock, knock on that new desk. Oh yeah. yeah. He's showing it off before the, before our chat today, by the way. <laughs> um, anyway, barring any injury issues, Walker's going to be uh, going to be one of the, uh, the leading players leading the way uh, defensively for um, the boys in red, white, and blue. Let's go to the final whistle. And Tim, it's content time. And uh, I've, I've actually got a content. I feel a content piece. I feel a bit unoriginal giving uh but we, we didn't give our our due to our uh, steve cavendish quota last week i mentioned him on the show so i gotta mention him this time <laughs> he shot me a text a couple weeks ago now he says if you listen to 22 goals it's awesome um and i checked it out it's a podcast by the ringers brian phillips that each week is discussing a pivotal goal in world cup history uh leading up to the 2022 uh, men's world cup which is also the 22nd men's world cup uh and uh it is about 30, 30 minute episode, 40 minute episode uh, per the writing is beautiful. It's, it's feature story style writing in podcast form. Uh, you're, you you could listen to these on repeat, like an office episode and, and catch something different each time. Highly enjoy it. Highly recommend it. 22 goals. I'm in the middle right now of the Dennis bird camp episode. I took off on a plane and forgot to download the rest of it. So I didn't get to listen to all of it. <laughs> so I got it. I got to get back to that. The former arsenal man. It's great. 22 goals. Highly recommend my recommendation is also highly soccer related and I have it with me actually. It's called how fast did T-Rex run? It's a book by David Hone, a paleontologist. It's about, uh, well, it's, it actually does apply to some of the things that we talk about because it's not only it's about dinosaurs. There, that is not like, you knew the dinosaurs trick, are going to come in. That is not a trick point. title, <laughs> but it's about kind of what, what, what we do know about dinosaurs from the fossil record but also understanding what we don't know, what we can't know, et cetera. And that's, I think goes a lot to what we talk about with being uh, particularly myself being an insane spreadsheet person. We have to know what, what we can know. We have to know what is knowable and we have to kind of admit what isn't knowable. And, you know, I think we try to walk that line as much as possible each week. And I, uh, I think we did another great job of it. this week. Well, and I guess the sample size of T-Rex state is just not, not that is a huge, right? huge issue is the sample size of, of all fossils of all varieties. Uh, there are like 15 total samples of like the most, which I, I believe T-Rex to have the most samples. There are like 15 total samples. And like one of them, Sue, everybody knows Sue is mm-hmm. like basically complete. And the rest of them are like, mm, we're kind of guessing <laughs> what, what, what would have been here. So yeah, the, 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 uh, the sample size issue comes into huge play with, with, uh, dinosaur knowledge well that's the, the amazing thing about paleontology and archaeology is that that even just a, a, a small cluster of new discoveries can transform what we know and, and eat into that category of what we don't as well which is uh absolutely fascinating and by the way the pharmaceutical soccer guys are loving this this dinosaur thread right now throwback to the to the old <laughs> days <laughs> clay steven valer yeah it's it's part of it, yeah. <laughs> I'm not often out here recommending books that aren't soccer related, right? But when you are, it's dinosaurs. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yeah, little Cameron, by the way, two years old, totally into dinosaurs, totally smitten, knows them all. His little cousin was like trying to say dino, and he goes, That's a brachiosaurus. 
that's a diplodocus <laughs> that's a triceratops you go kid you go well so so the diplodocus and the brachiosaurus are are the prosauropods whereas we mm-hmm. have the the ornitho something uh clade and then we have the theropod clade so the figuring out which goes with which is is a yeah in 2017 there was there was new new discoveries that or new data analysis which heck yeah that really changed everything we thought we knew about how those families and, and genuses go together incredible stuff one thing how fast for sure. how fast did t-rex run one Check thing's for sure if tim <laughs> sullivan is on the pod it is indeed a pro sauropod <laughs> And with that, I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> and with that, please recommend the show. Please, <laughs> please rate us. Please review. Please subscribe. In spite of that last segment, or maybe if you really are type our type of person, because of that last segment, I think I think most of you probably dug that. I think, I think people get it. They dug it. They dug up the T Rex fossils. They they dug them. I, just, um, I got it, Wes. I was just because I, I wasn't laughing doesn't mean I. This didn't. happens at my house all the time. Do you hear my joke? Do you hear my joke? <laughs> I heard it. Okay. Sorry, Cameron. (laughs) Uh, That's the running joke, by the way. I say, is daddy funny? And Cameron goes, nope. Dude, you're too. Tough crowd. Supposed to wait till like 14 to think I'm lame. Whatever. Uh, Thanks to ML Rose for the sponsorship and for having a really cool bobcat that my son does like, maybe more than his dad's sense of humor. Uh, Thanks to Move Taxi for the music, 440 440 Sports Network for, for some reason, giving us microphones to talk about this team. Anything, uh, Tim, before, before we leave for the week? No, just to make sure, uh, as, as Wes was about to say, but I'm going to interrupt again. I think this is the second week in a row I've done it. Rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, follow us on Twitter. I think most Im- the most important thing you can do uh, each week is ask us a question. Yeah. Uh, this, this was a lighter week. Thank you to, to John, Finn, all, everybody who asked a question. But we, we, uh, we didn't have to eliminate any questions from the run-in this week, and we love to get a ton of questions each week. Yeah, it's great. It's one of my favorite parts of the week is putting that out, usually on a Monday morning busy work schedule check it back a few minutes later and we've exploded didn't quite explode this time but we will next time i'm sure Uh, and we usually do thank you guys so much have a great week